This program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Bad Priest, Episode 1, Freedom. They lie to you. They say the sun is different on the outside. It ain't. The sun is the same big old glowing orb in the sky whether you've been locked up for eight years or not. Eight years. Eight long fucking years. Cole, you're forgetting your possessions. Corrections officer Tyler Mott, a big man with heavy jowls and deep-set eyes, is holding a yellow manila envelope in a meaty hand. He's one of the good ones, and apparently that didn't change on the outside either. I look at the envelope. Part of me wants to just say, fuck it, I don't want it. That's all behind me. Part of me also feels that the envelope is pathetically small and thin. The entirety of a man's belongings, loosely packed into an eight and a half by 11 inch envelope. There's something I need inside, however. Thanks. I find my lighter first, then my pack of smokes. The lighter was a gift from my grandfather. A silver Zippo with fuck theocracy etched on one side. The rumor is he got the lighter while in Nam. It's just a rumor because I never met the man. He died overseas, and the only thing they shipped back to my dad was this lighter. The cigarette is disgusting. If eight years could turn an alpha male into a gamma... It could turn a cancer stick into a shit pipe. Those are stale as fuck. Here, have one of mine. I take a fresh smoke from Tyler. I smoke for a minute, looking at the desert that surrounded the central New Mexico Correctional Facility, the place that I called home for eight years. Every single day I wanted out. And now that I was free, you'd think I'd want to hightail it out of here put this place behind me and never look back. And yet, it was like saying goodbye to a friend. A friend who fucked you over every which way from Sunday, but a friend nonetheless. I gotta go, Cole. You have someone coming to pick you up? I shake my head. No, I'll walk. He looks at me funny, but knows better than to challenge me. Take care of yourself, Cole. You too. Alone, I stare into the manila envelope. There's my wallet, which I remove and slip into my pocket. That's when I see it, the final item in the bag. My lip curls and I draw hard on my smoke. My clergy collar, aka my dog collar. The white piece of fabric, one and a half inches wide and four inches long, seems to stare back at me. In the envelope, it's just a piece of clothing. Put it on, however, and that changes everything. I glance back at the jail. That swatch of white had enough power to put me in there. 
I finished my smoke and butted out with the heel of my cowboy boot. I don't see the car, but I see the dust. The vehicle must be fishtailing, because the cloud of dust is like a whirling dervish making its way toward me. The car stops within inches of my cowboy boots, sending a spray of dirt in my direction. I lean back and cover my face with the crook of my elbow. A door opens, and a man jumps out. Father Bannon, it's so good to see you. Arms wrap me in an embrace. I don't reciprocate. You should have called. I didn't even know you were getting out. If it weren't for Officer Mott calling me, I wouldn't- It's just Cole now. The look on the man's face says it all. He's hurt, and I don't blame him. After the mess I left for the man when I went inside, I'm surprised that he's come at all. But Diego was nothing if not loyal. All this time, and he didn't say a single word. I know this, because if he had, I would have been greeting him a lot sooner than after nearly 3,000 days. I'm sorry, Diego. Thanks for coming. It means a lot to me. Diego smiles. So good to see you. It's been a long time. Too long. I reach out and shake his hand. He hesitates at first, then grins, and his small arm pumps up and down enthusiastically. Come on, get in! Diego has the same car as before I went into the clink. A shitty mustard yellow crown Victoria. When it was younger, a lot younger, it was probably a proud New York City taxi cab. Not anymore. Now it was Father Cole Bannon's chauffeur-mobile, which it had been for more than a decade. No, not Father Cole Bannon's. Just Cole Bannon's. It smells as bad as it looks, like old sweat and a hint of sour piss. But I'm not one to complain. It smells better than my cell. Miles better. Where to, Father? I mean, Cole. I glance back into my envelope and stare at the two remaining items. The pack of stale smokes and my dog collar. You want to get something to eat? Maybe go take a shower? I can- Smokes. I need smokes, Diego. Take me to the nearest store. I pull out the package of cigarettes and crumple it. Then I grab the collar and look at it. On second thought, take me to Denise's. When Diego doesn't start driving right away, I glance over at him. Just for smokes, Diego. Just for smokes. This is a lie, but who cares? I'm just Cole now. Father Bannon is a thing of the past. Just an idea. An idea that I left back in my 8 by 10 foot cell. Still, as Diego presses the gas pedal and whips up another cloud of dust, I don't scrunch up the collar like I did the cigarettes. Instead, I slide it into my pocket with my lighter engraved with the words, Fuck Theocracy. Denise isn't a person. I mean, she is. But Denise is refers to a place rather than the septuagenarian woman with bleach blonde hair and size triple E breast who is the eponymous owner operator. Denise's also happens to be a strip club, and even though it's just after 10 in the morning, it had been open for hours. Come to think of it, I don't think it ever closes. Just cigarettes, right? Diego looks concerned, and he has every right to be. I'm aware of the existence of classy strip clubs in and around Albuquerque, but that's where my experience with them ends. This is Denise's, 
and set in the middle of a desert with a parking lot that always had a few cars in it regardless of the time of day, you can imagine what type of joint it is. Its proximity to the central New Mexico correctional facility should also reveal something about it. Denise's is a lot of things. Classy, it is not. Yeah, just smokes. I get out of Diego's musty car and hurry to the convenience store that is attached to Denise's. In stark contrast to the curse of neon lights on the strip club, the convenience store has a simple hand-drawn sign that says open 24-7. It doesn't even have a name. One isn't necessary. As secluded as Denise's is, it makes sense to set up a small shop where people can buy stale sandwiches, expired hot dogs, and a pack of smokes or a bottle of booze before or after they leave the establishment. I tell myself that the reason why I want to come here is because I need my nicotine fix, and it's the closest place to the pen. But I'd be lying if I said that being here doesn't bring back waves of nostalgia. Hell, I'm lying about wanting to come here because of its proximity to the place I just left. Unlike Denise's, the lights inside the convenience store are bright and harsh, and I have to squint my eyes even though I was just outside in the sun. The convenience store hasn't changed either. I heard stories about people on the inside who said that once they'd been released, they couldn't understand what the new world had become. Everything was so complicated that they couldn't deal with it, and the only recourse they had was to commit another crime to get them sent back to the clink. When you're first locked up and unable to leave your cell except for during certain hours, have to eat on a strict schedule, and have the course of your life removed from your control, it's anxiety-inducing and terrifying. But over time, you get accustomed to the routine, and the harsh reality of leaving prison and not having that structure often leads to recidivism. But I'd only been inside for eight years, and while 2015 was different from 2023, no doubt, the world still looked mostly the same. At least here, inside the unnamed convenience store. I head right up to the counter, expecting to see Denise manning her post. I'd gone through this interaction in my head multiple times, and debated whether or not I even wanted it to happen. I hold no animosity toward the woman despite what went down, but still, I'm not sure she feels the same way. But some things do change, apparently, because Denise isn't behind the counter. Instead, her pretty but lined face has been replaced by a man with thick lips and freckled cheeks. Yeah. This attitude is typical of Denise's, both the strip club and the convenience store. Still, there's something about the way he says this single word that puts me on edge. Marlboro Lights. As the man turns and searches for the pack of cigarettes, my eyes drift to the wall of booze behind the counter. There are the typical bottles, as well as some high-end scotches, but my eyes naturally gravitate to the Johnny Walker Red Label. On the outside, Johnny Red was always my drink of choice. On the inside, the selection was less diverse. It takes me a moment to realize that the man with the freckles has already put my smokes on the counter and is staring at me, awaiting payment. I pull out my wallet and place one of my two $5 bills on the counter. The man glances at the money, but makes no move to take it. $8.50. $8.50? Shit, it looks like that has changed too. 
I reluctantly hand over my last five, and he provides me with my change. Anything else? The man must have caught me staring at the alcohol. I want a drink. God damn do I ever want a drink. But one dollar and fifty cents ain't gonna cut it. I can go back to the car and ask Diego for money, but that doesn't seem right. No, I'm- Brush out. He wasn't talking about the money now. I nod. We got a special for those coming from the pen. Worst drinks on the house. You serious? Something strikes me about the man that suggests he doesn't know how to be anything but, and he confirms this by gesturing toward a door that I've never seen before. It's off to the side, just behind the counter, painted all black and looks about four feet tall. I've been inside this convenience store dozens, if not hundreds of times before, under various stages of inebriation, but I swear that it has never been there. Serious. First drinks on the house. I'm skeptical, dubious, but when he reaches over and opens the door and the convenience store floods with the rhythmic bass characteristic of every strip club that I'd ever been to, I'm overwhelmed. Fuck nostalgia. This is a more visceral response. Well, you want to go inside? They say that there are certain decisions in your life that act as a crossroads. My first was what happened here at Denise's just over eight years ago. That was a crossroads, all right. As I stare into the interior of the strip club, I have a strong feeling that this is another one of those decisions. And it's only fitting that it happens here, bringing everything full circle. I lick my lips again and take a step forward. Can you blame me? Can you blame me for wanting a drink that isn't made out of stale bread and fermented in a sock? Can you blame me for wanting to look at an ass that isn't covered with an inch of hair? Nah, you can't blame me for either of those. I may not be a priest anymore, but goddammit if I'm not still a living, breathing, red-blooded American male. Yeah, I want to go inside. This has been Bad Priest, Episode 1, a PTL Books and Pathological Inc. production. Written, produced, mixed, and narrated by Patrick Logan. Additional voice acting by Andrew Logan. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can also visit us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash badpriestpodcast. <laughs>